I know it's a holiday, and it's real easy when you don't have to go to work tomorrow to kind of coast through today, but don't coast through the next hour. Deal? Or I, because you don't have to work tomorrow, so many of you, um, that I'll just keep you here till we get it, all right? Is that, is that fair enough? Is that fair enough? All right. All right. I hope you brought your lunch. So if you amen a lot, I know you're out there. I know. I'm, I'm glad Sam's up here. He'll help me out this morning. Uh, all right. Uh, how many of you really, have, have you ever really dug into the parables and seen them all together? It's pretty fascinating. Did you know there are 46 parables? We could literally spend almost a year just on the parables, just on the parables that Jesus taught. I mean, that's pretty amazing. It really is. And as I've been digging this out, I've learned some things about the parables um, that I didn't realize when you put the parables together from all the Gospels and you put them in chronological order. That's a big word. (laughs) It just means if you put them in a timeline as to when he spoke those parables and you put all of them together chronologically, he actually spoke many series in the parables. He actually taught like what we teach here, could be where we got it, where we do series of things, right? Where we talk about the same thing for multiple times. Well, that's kind of what Jesus did. Matter of fact, in the very beginning of his three and a half years of public ministry, the first few parables that he spoke were all about um, really the introduction of himself into the world. And he was really talking about what God was doing through him in the world. And he talked about things like new wine and wineskins, you know. Uh, he, he talked about a lamp on a hill, a city on a hill. He talked about a lot of different things um, like that. Uh, he talked about the wise builder and the foolish builder. We've talked about that, right? The guy that built on the sand and those that built on the rock. Y'all remember that, right? That was all at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Then the next section of parables were all about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven here on the earth. What God was building here that would last Forever. Uh, all right, that's really what, what it was all about. And he talked about good dirt and rocks and seeds and pearls and yeast and the treasure that is the, the kingdom of God here. That man, if you got to sell it all to get the kingdom, remember we talked about that, then, then it's worth it. It is like that pearl of great price. He talked about all of those things, that you can experience the kingdom of God right here, right now. Like four of you got it. All right. You can experience the kingdom of God right here, right now. That's better. That's good news, y'all. It is. That is good news. Uh, And and then he did this whole section about, in parables, after that, about how we should live. Kind of some that I read would call it the behavior parables. Like, how should we live in the kingdom of God on the earth? How should it change the way we live? Uh, And I hope you got your notes. I want you to write this down because how we live matters to God. How we live on the earth matters to God. I think we need to say it all together. Ready? Go. How we live matters to God. Okay, students, y'all didn't, I know some of you are writing. All right, you got to say it with me. Ready? Everybody, y'all can say it with them too. All right, ready? 
go. How we live matters to God. It matters. It matters. And then it's interesting, the last nine parables that Jesus taught, the last nine were what some call uh, messianic prophecies. They were parables that were prophetic. They were parables that were about what is to come. Okay? So I think it's so cool. At the beginning, he's introducing. In the middle, he's saying, here's the kingdom here. Here's how we live. And at the end, he's like, here's what it's going to look like. Even in the future. Here's what's interesting. The, the parable we're going to look at today is actually in one of those nine at the end. It's one of the prophetic or messianic uh, prophecies about Jesus. Um, but here's what's cool. <laughs> it's not just a prophecy for us to learn and observe. It is a parable that we, right here in Mena, Arkansas, have an active role in it coming about. We have a part in this thing playing out like Jesus said it was going to play out. Let that soak in a minute. Because that's pretty amazing. It really is. And if you haven't figured it out, we're going to talk today about a wedding. All right? We're going to talk about a wedding a little bit and a wedding banquet. Um, and uh, it's actually going to be, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22. Uh, you can go there, hold your finger there. I'm not going to read it yet. Uh, okay? Um, we're going to read it closer to the end because I feel like I need to build some foundation for us to understand what everybody around would have understood when Jesus was telling this parable. They would have understood what we will miss in our culture today. So are y'all ready for some foundation? Because this is, is cool stuff. I am so excited about it. I was kind of bummed um, when I, I felt like God was like, you know, do this message, do this message, and here's when you need to do this message. Because I realized it was a holiday weekend and we got lots of people traveling. Got lots of people gone. I hope you're watching online. Because this is some great stuff that he's just showing me that I think is so cool. So, turn to the book of Revelation. Chapter 19. Alright. Revelation chapter 19. One of the most twisted misunderstood books of the entire Bible. It has been abused for a very, very long time. All right? It really, it really has. Uh, but it is an amazing, amazing book. Um, so, so good. All right. Are y'all ready to read? In Revelation 19, we're going to start with verse 7, and we're going to learn some foundational stuff about a wedding and a banquet and really what in the world is Jesus going to be talking about. So, y'all pay attention. Let's jump into it. Let us be glad and rejoice. Everybody rejoice. Go, whoa. There you go. Let us give honor to him. We've done that in worship this morning. For the time has come for the wedding feast. Everybody go, yeah. The time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. And his bride has, everybody say, prepared. The bride is ready. Look at somebody say, the bride is ready. The bride has prepared herself. Y'all got to hang on to that. You're going to need that in just a minute. 
All right? The bride has prepared herself for what? For what? The wedding. And the wedding feast. The feast came after the wedding. Okay? So, we got to have a wedding, then we have a wedding feast. But the bride had to prepare. So, let's go on. She has been given the finest of pure white linens to wear. Look at this. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Yeah, one translation says the righteousness of the saints or the righteousness of the believers. Man. I I don't know how I've read I've read Revelation many, many times. And I've always skipped over that. I didn't really it didn't really click. But this time when I read it. I was like, wait a minute. The bride has been given pure white linens to wear. The bride has been given white linens to wear. Has been given fabric. The fabric, the linens represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And it hit me. The way we act, the way we live out the kingdom of God in a godly way. One translation says godly deeds. Our living out Godly deeds in the kingdom of heaven or in the kingdom of God on the earth translates into a wedding gown. What we do here is being translated and making, as it were, a wedding dress. When I live out a godly life and the godly things that I do put sequins on a dress. Preparing the bride for the wedding. We get so hung up on Jesus come quickly. Jesus come back. Jesus going to come anytime. He can't come till the bride is ready. He's not going to come till the bride is ready. Let me say it like this. We and the way we live in the body of Christ, what if it affects the timeline of his return? Because he's not coming till the bride's ready. Just, I know some of you are like, wait a minute, I don't know. No. I'm going to show you some good stuff. It really is. All right, write this down. Um, write this down. Uh, there is an invitation. Oh, wait, yeah, go ahead and write that down first. The wedding dress is made up of the righteous deeds of believers. That's, that's literally what that scripture just said. All right? Are y'all still with me? You're like, well, I don't know about all this. All right? Just think about that. And then write, write this down. After you write that down, all right? So the wedding dress 
is made up of what? Righteous deeds of the who? Say of me. <laughs> what I do is helping to make the wedding dress. You're like, well, that, that's kind of a weird analogy. I don't know. I want you to write this down. Um, and, and it's very simple. And we're going to dig this out over the next little bit. There is an invitation. There is an invitation. For a wedding, it is customary that you send out invitations. Unless you just don't want anybody there. Right? And I get it. All right. Um, but there, there is an invitation. Now, you, to understand what we're going to be digging into, I, I got to give you a little bit of, of Jewish tradition background. Uh, okay? Um, did y'all know, did y'all know that Jesus was Jewish? Y'all know that, right? Jesus was Jewish, right? He was probably very dark brown olive skin, not white with blue eyes. Regardless of the pictures you have seen, right? <laughs> uh, he is from the lineage of Judah, the tribe of David, from David's lineage. He is Jewish. He came first to the Jews, then the Gentiles. So unless you are like full-blooded Jewish, everybody else in this room, you're a Gentile. Say, you're a Gentile. Tell them that. You're a Gentile. All right? All right? <laughs> and we're going to see in a minute... In the parable in Matthew, how, how all of this kind of fits together, uh, all right? So, um, in a Jewish family, part of the wedding ceremony was the engagement or the betrothal. They would call it the betrothal, right? Um, and, and, and it was actually part of... The wedding. Um, I think this is so cool when you start to understand it. That the engagement, when you were betrothed or engaged to each other, you were technically married. You were married when you accepted the invitation. When you accepted, as it were today, the engagement ring, okay, you were married at that point. That was the beginning of the marriage ceremony. And the marriage ceremony or the marriage itself could take a very long time. It could take years. It could take months. It was really interesting. You're like, really? Yeah, it's actually in the Bible, not just in Jewish literature, but it's actually in the Bible. Y'all remember the story of Joseph and Mary, yes. right? When Jesus was born, right? When Joseph heard, now Joseph was engaged, was betrothed, to his wife, Mary. Right? He was engaged. They were technically married by the culture's view. That's why it says when he found out that she was pregnant, that he thought about divorcing her quietly. He didn't want to hurt her because he loved her. But he would have had to have gone through a divorce proceeding even though they had never 
finished the marriage ceremony. It's kind of interesting. I, I, I mean, because she, and during this, it's interesting, during this whole uh, engagement period, <laughs> think about this. I think this is so smart. I really think we should go back there. Students, listen, because this is good stuff. That once you were engaged, you were never alone with that person until the wedding day. Never alone. Because how many of you know, when you get engaged, the temptation goes way up. Right? It just does. It just does. So, so in that culture, you would have this engagement ceremony, and then... The girl, the bride, would go back home with her family. The groom would go back home with his family. And they had some responsibility, both of them, as to when they were ready for the next step in marriage. And it's so cool when you understand this. Matter of fact, just so you can kind of wrap your head around what we're going to talk about. And we're going we're gonna to dig into this a little bit more. Um, I, I want you to think as we walk through this stories that Jesus is sharing. I, I, a couple things you need to think about. Yes, they're talking about a wedding. They're using the analogy that everybody in the culture would have understood. You know, that there's this betrothal period, there's this, you know, then a ceremony, and then they consummate the marriage, and all of that. But Paul actually explains it very, very clearly, what Jesus is talking about that in this, this parable. So I want to give you a little foundation so you understand, and walk through me, just because I don't have time to dig it all out, all right? So, think about this. The groom... In the story is going to be Jesus. Uh, okay? All right? The bride is who? The church. Look at somebody and say, you the bride, even if you're a guy. All right? Now, guys, don't get wigged out about this. Okay? It's okay. It's all right. It's a picture of what, what God desires to do. Uh, okay, so who is the groom? Jesus is the groom. Who is the bride? The church. Say me. I, I, I get to be the bride, all right? So God the, is the father of the groom, all right? God is the father of the groom. This analogy is used all through the New Testament. Not just in the one that I'm going to read in just a minute. But he uses this analogy a lot. All right. So Jesus is the groom. The bride is the church. The father is God. He's the father of the broom. And everybody just say this. The wedding is. Everybody say is. It is going to happen. It's going to happen. Hmm. I could spend so much time on this. Because as a believer, we have accepted the engagement ring. <laughs> but the party hasn't happened yet. Come on. We are in the betrothal period. So what do we do? We're in the engagement period. So what do we do? See, during, this is so cool. During the engagement period, the groom goes back home. But he doesn't just sit around waiting. The church been sitting around waiting way too long. That's right. The groom 
Jesus, <laughs> he went back home. Y'all know that, right? Right? And, and the scripture says, and, and it was tradition that when the groom went back home, he went to work. And he was building a house to be able to bring the bride to the house. And it was customary that the house in that culture would either be built onto the father's house. It was a totally separate house, but it was built onto the father's house. Or it was right next to the father's house with, with a covered door that connected it. They called it a mansion. Not because it was like what we think of, but because a mansion literally means many rooms, many living spaces, many living spaces. So the groom's job was to go back home and start preparing for the wedding and the wedding feast. His job was to build a house. You know, to get things ready, to start working on himself as a man, learning what it is to be a man. Come on. Man, have we lost that or what? You know, the, the bride would go back home and she would surround herself with women that knew what it was to be a bride. That knew what it was to learn and she would learn and absorb all that she could about how to be a wife, how to be a mama, you know, how to, how to be a businesswoman in that culture. She would learn all that she could during the engagement period. And here's what's cool. They had no idea when they were going to get married. Their job was just to work and prepare and get ready for your wedding. Just get ready. They didn't get to set the date. Matter of fact, the father of the groom was the only one. That could set the date. And he told nobody. Because here's what he's doing. Y'all grab this. The father of the groom, his job was to watch the groom. Watch him become a man. Watch him take on responsibility. Watch him as he builds the house. And he would constantly, it was the father of the groom's job, to constantly be communicating with the bride's daddy, with the bride's mama, going, how's she doing? How's she doing? Is she growing? Is she working? Is she, is she getting the dress ready? You know? Is she working at it? How's she doing? How's she doing? <laughs> and it was only the father of the groom that would set the date. That's it. The father of the groom said they're ready. And then one day, out of the blue, the son's working, getting things ready for the bring the bride home. The bride's working to become this woman of God, you know, to... Get the dress ready by her good deeds. I just think that's so cool. Getting the dress ready. Getting all the preparation ready. And then one day, the father of the groom looks at his son and says, Son, go get her. You're ready. She's ready. But he would not let his son go get the bride until they were ready. <laughs> that 
That's the story. That's the story of the second coming of Jesus. He can't come get his bride until the bride is ready. That puts the weight, kind of some of it, on us. Do y'all hear that? I'm not making this stuff up. I, I mean, that is so true. But can you imagine as the son, I, I know for me, if I lived in that culture, you know, can you imagine the son going to the dad and say, Dad, can I go get her? Dad, I, I, I really, I really want to go get her. And, and dad's like, nope, not yet. Not yet. About two days later, dad, can I, can I, is it time? I, I really love this girl. I really want, dad, can I go get her? Not yet, son. Not ready. He, she's not ready. Maybe you're not, I, I don't know. Not yet. Oh, but dad, dad, can I go get her? And he's like, son, you don't even have the roof on the house. Get the roof put on, you know? Get your part done. Work at it. It's okay. Oh, but Dad, she's so pretty. I want to go get her now. Come on. Let's be real, right? They're engaged. They've already committed their lives to each other. <laughs> but Dad, I just want to go get her. No, not yet. Not yet, not yet. Nobody knows the day but the Father. Nobody. And that's why I get so frustrated when people start saying the date. Jesus is going to come back because of this and this and this. He's going to come back on October the 6th. And I honestly think this is my... This is Victor's, this is not Bible, all right? But I honestly think when somebody publishes a book that it's going to be October the 6th, 2023, that God the Father says, okay, I got to move the date again. Because can I just tell you, he's not going to let you be right. Because only he knows. Amen. Only the Father knows. Look at somebody and say, only the Father knows. So how arrogant is it for me to think I know? Come on, right? Jesus doesn't even know. He's not going to know till the Father says, okay, son, go get your bride. Go get her. You've been waiting. Go get her. You know, today's the day. We're going to do this thing. Right? Only the Father knows. And He is watching the groom build a house. He's watching the bride maturing, preparing, living for others. He's not going to come until we are ready. Hmm. Until we, by our actions by the way we treat people around us, by the way we live in this world, we prepare the dress. It's so cool to me when you think about it like that. Ah, can I just tell you too that the father's not dragging his feet. He wants his son and the bride to be together. He wants it more than the son. But he knows <laughs> you just got to be ready first. It's probably one of the greatest privileges to go, son, oh, you're ready. She's ready. Let's do it. All right. Are y'all still with me? Yes. I'm having too much fun. I could really dig into this. I love this stuff. All right. Write this down. We have been invited not just to the wedding, but we've been invited to be the bride. We have been invi invited to be the main attraction at the wedding. <laughs> You're like, well, I don't know about wanting to be a bride. That's kind of weird, all right? Just 
Think about it like this. You have been invited to be the center You've been invited to be the bride of the God of the universe. To be the most important thing to Him. You've been invited. Isn't that cool? You have been invited. You have. Matter of fact, look what it says. John 14 says this. My father's house has many what? Many mansions or many rooms. Okay, remember that's what we just talked about because the son's building them, right? If that were not so, would I have not told you? But I'm going to prepare a place for who? For you, because you are the, come on, that's right, because you're the bride. And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back, I'll come back. I'm not going to leave you at your parents' place all your life. I promise I'm building a place, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get my bride. Isn't that awesome? I'm building a place. I I think about this, that all of our reality, Jesus created with a spoken word in a few days. Right? All of our reality. The sun, the moon, stars, the oceans, the beauty of the mountains, all of those things he created with a word in only a few days. But he's been working on the mansion he's taking me to for over 2,000 years. What's that going to look like? Think about it. The things that blow our mind here are nothing compared to what he has in store for his bride. He's been working and working on it and building it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to freak you out. Isn't that awesome? That is so, so cool. It, it really is. Um, so write this down. Write this down. He is right now preparing a place for who? For me, part of the bride, he is preparing a place for me. And he said, I will come and I will get you. But I don't know when that is. I'm waiting on daddy to tell me go. Because only daddy knows. Only the father knows. Have you ever thought about what, what is in the heart of the groom? What's in the heart of the son? What happens in him when daddy says, okay, it's time. Go get your bride. What do you think happens? Okay, dad. Is that what happens? No. He has been working and looking forward and anticipating. He has not touched this girl yet. He's a, he's a young guy dreaming for the wedding nights. I don't know about you. I used to hear sermons about Jesus coming back, that Jesus is going to come back. He could come back anytime. You got to be ready. He's going to be. And all that's true. But I literally sat where these guys are sitting, and I would pray, God, don't come back till after I get married. I just want to know what that's like, you know? I just, come on. Don't tell me I'm not the only one. I know. I know. You know? (laughs) That was just, I'm just being honest. Can you imagine, though, the father looking at the son going, okay, son, 
Today's the day. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. And the party is on, right? Do you know it's the same thing for Jesus? When he looks at you, when he looks at his bride that's getting ready, he's like, oh, daddy, I can't wait. And then daddy looks, you say, really, is that in the Bible? Yeah, look at this. For the Lord himself, Jesus himself, will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. And I don't think it's, see, we, we don't even know what, the, I think it's like, woohoo! It's time! Yeah, baby, I'm coming. Come on. Let's be real. Don't, I mean, take off your churchy junk. It's with a commanding shout, I'm coming, baby. You're mine. You say, really? You're stretching the scripture? No. No. Matter of fact, he has all the angels join in. Not only the angels, the archangels. <laughs> and then one of them's got a trumpet. I mean, they're getting ready to have a party, y'all. Right? They got a trumpet. He's shouting. And then it says the first, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Somebody say amen. We all got friends there. Then together with them, we, everybody say we who are still alive and remain on the earth, will be what? Caught up. Caught up. Everybody say caught up. In the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be what? With the Lord. How long? Forever. Praise the Lord for that. Come on. That is so good. That is so good. We're going to be caught up. To meet him in the air. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's like, I'm going to get my bride. Yeah! I'm coming to get you. Today is the day. And he's going to just like, I, I can't even wait to get down there. I'm just going to bring you up. We're going to meet halfway. I'm so excited. I mean, that is pretty awesome. It really is. And you know what? He, he ends this. So encourage each other with these words. He was writing to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, say it for me, Sam. Thessalonica, there you go. Uh, he's writing to the church there. And here's what's interesting. At that time in history, Christians were literally dying by the thousands in the arenas for sport. If you were a believer... In that culture, at that time, in that city, they would round up hundreds of you and they would put you in the arena and tens of thousands of people would pack the arena and watch the lions devour the Christians and that was their party. I get so frustrated with our American mentality that God owes us something more than that. He doesn't. But Paul is writing to those people that are dying daily, being mauled and eaten by lions. And he says, be encouraged. Because the son, when daddy says, come get you, he is coming with a shout. The angels 
the trumpets, and he is going to sweep you off your feet, and he's going to take you, and you're going to be with him forever, forever. Encourage each other in that. When you're facing the giants, know it's, or the lions, just know it's only temporary. It's only temporary. And here's what's going to happen, the scripture says. And you can argue with me about this. I'm not going to argue because we all got opinions and we're probably all wrong, okay? So here's, here's what I see, though, in the scripture is that he's going to come. He's going to catch his bride up with him, right? He's going to take us to be forever with him. And then when he comes back. This time the scripture says his bride's with him. And he's going to plant his feet on the Mount of Olives, the scripture says. And when he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, that time he comes back. See, he comes back and catches us up. He's ready for a wedding. When he comes back with his bride, oh no, there's a sword coming out of his mouth. That's what it describes. He comes back and plants his feet on the Mount of Olives, not in the United States. He plants his feet on the Mount of Olives. And, and I mean, he comes that time with judgment. I saw how you took, I saw how you treated my bride. I, I saw how you treated each other. I know how you rejected me. And now it's going to be difficult. And he brings terrible judgment on the earth. But here's the thing. Some of us go, yeah, they deserve it. Do you know why he brings judgment? I love this. He's giving them one last chance to repent. <laughs> He's like, my, my, bride, my bride is with me, but you still have an opportunity to repent. That's what it says. Dig it out. I love it that his heart is that none should perish. Amen? That's his heart. That is his heart. That's what he desires. And it's so cool that if you look, that the scripture was written over 2,000 years ago, what we're reading right now. And here's what's amazing. As you look at all that's happening, it's all lining up just like he said it would. And he said, be encouraged, not freaked out, not scared, not worried. But what? Encouraged. Don't worry about it. Be encouraged. It's okay. Matter of fact, here's what he said. Write this down. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Look. Right, oh, there it is. Look up. Your redemption is drawing near, is drawing nigh. He's like, look up. Stop looking at the problem, but look up. Say somebody, tell somebody, look up. Look up. Look up. Quit looking at everything else. Okay. So I have five minutes left. And we're finally going to read the parable. Are y'all ready? You're like, there ain't no way. Yep, yep, I promise. All right? Uh, Jesus spoke to them again, Matthew 22, in a what? Parable saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet, banquet for his who? For his son, for Jesus, right? He said he sent his servants to those who have been invited to the wedding. They got an invitation to tell them to come. But they what? They refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted calf have been butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. What? Banquet. Come to the wedding banquet. So he's sending out invitations. He sends out more invitations. And can I just tell you, when the king sends out an invitation for you to come to his house for a wedding feast, 
you drop everything else you had planned. That was the culture, because that was an honor. I got invited. All right, let's go on. But they paid what? No attention and went off. One went back working in the field. The other one to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and what? Killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. He's literally talking about, my daddy sent the prophets, and you ignored them. He was inviting you in, and you ignored him. He's talking to the Jews going, you ignored him. You beat up the prophets. You mistreated them. You killed some of them. You ignored the invitation. So God's wrath will come. Hmm. You ignored John the Baptist. When he said, here's the, here's the groom. Yeah, here he is. Let's go on. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready. But those I invited did not deserve to come. <laughs> I invited them. I wanted them here. They wouldn't come, so forget it. Right? And then look. So go to the what? Oh, come on. Stay with me. Go where? To the street corners and invite them to the banquet. Luke says, compel them all to come in. Compel them all to come in. Invite anyone you find. Even the Gentiles. <laughs> I love that. Even the Gentiles, invite everyone that you can invite, compel them, come on in. Come to the banquet. Come to the wedding. So the servants went out. That's our job. Went out <laughs> to the streets and gathered all the people they could find the bad, I love that he put this, the bad as well as the good. We're in one of those. All right? And the wedding hall was filled with what? Was filled with guests. All right? Write this down. He is sending the servants with invitations to everyone. He is sending the servants. He's sending the bride. And he says, bride, put out all the invitations you can. That's right. Put out all the invitations. Invite everyone. Everybody say everyone. The good and the bad. <laughs> Invite them all. Invite them all. I love that. Love that. And then, verse 11. This is powerful. Worship team, you guys can come on. Y'all don't, don't disconnect. Don't fold it up yet. All right? Hang with me. But when the king came in to see the guest, he noticed a man there who was not wearing what? Now, I thought this was so interesting, so I dug it out a little bit. Do you realize, y'all just hang with me. Do you realize that in that culture, when the king would have a wedding of one of his sons, everyone that was invited to the wedding got the king's robes to wear? Everyone in at the guest, every guest at the wedding wore one of the king's pure white robes. And the robe 
would completely cover all of their normal clothing. And here's why he would do that. Because the king didn't want anybody to fill out a place. He invited the good, the bad, the poor, the wealthy, and he wanted all of them to be wearing his clothes. Amen. Isn't that a cool picture? So that you couldn't tell who was rich. You couldn't tell who was poor. You couldn't tell anything because everybody was wearing the king's clothes. Is that a cool picture? Of the body of Christ. Man. He noticed that there was somebody there that wasn't wearing the king's clothes. The wedding clothing. The appropriate attire. Alright. And he asked. How did you get in without wedding clothes? This is Jesus talking. How did you get into this wedding without the wedding clothes, friend? And the man was... Speechless. Then the king told the servants, tie that man up, hand and foot. Throw him outside into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This guy, he's like, I don't need the king's clothes. I'm going to go to the wedding on my own terms. I don't need to put on his clothes of righteousness. I'm pretty good on my own. I can handle this. I'm going to do it the way I want it. I'm going to get to the king's house my way. I'm going to get to heaven my way. I'm going to the way. I don't want to work on a dress. I don't want to put on his clothes. I want to do it my way. And the king says, throw him out. The very next verse says this. For many are invited but few are chosen. I love the way the message paraphrase says it. That's what I mean when I say Jesus is talking. Many people get invited. But only a few really make it. Only a few make it. You can write that down. That's the last fill in. Many get invited. But only a few make it. We're going to have a little time, and we're just going to let the Holy Spirit work this word in us. And here's what I want you to be thinking about. I don't want you standing up at the beginning and singing. They're going to be singing, but I want you to work through these thoughts and let the Holy Spirit work them in you. And the first thought is that, that we just... Say, I know that I've been invited to marry into God's family. That we first just recognize, I've been invited. I've been invited to marry into God's family. That's the invitation. And then the next thing to think about is, have I truly accepted that invitation? Or am I just trying to do it on my own terms, my own way? H have I been willing to change my plans for His plans? Have I given up my own self-righteousness? Well, I'm good enough. My own self-righteous clothing and have I put on the king's robe? Have I done that? And then, 
I wonder if this could be our prayer. I think we have one more. Do we not have one more? Did I miss it? Was that it, Chris? Okay. I wonder if we would say this. Jesus, I accept your righteousness. Your gift of life. Your royalty. And I thought about it like this. Jesus, I'm going to take your name. I'm going to take your name. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. We're one. I give you me the best I know how. Let that be your prayer of surrendering to him. Thank you.